0: Duncan, James, how are you? I'm well, how about yourself? I'm very well. Happy New Year. Let's get started. Okay, so Duncan and I have been friends for over 30 years, and we like to talk about uh, key topics or ideas um, or an article that has uh, sparked our interest. So today's uh, discussion is going to be around a a particular concept that I first learned uh, while I was uh, listening or watching a lecture given by Jordan Peterson. Uh, And the the concept is about the shadow self. So what I thought I would do is first just give a quote um, by Carl Jung. So if you haven't heard of Carl Jung, he was a Swiss psychiatrist or psychoanalyst um, around the 19th and 20th century. Uh, And this is what Jordan, um, so Carl Jung uh, kind of championed the notion of the shadow self and it's what he was referring to in his lectures. So I hope this quote will help kind of explain what we mean by the shadow self. This is what Carl Jung said. All those qualities, capacities and tendencies which do not harmonise with the collective values, that is, everything that shuns the light of public opinion, in fact now come together to form the shadow, the dark region of the personality which is unknown and unrecognised by the ego. So that, that might be a, a healthy dose to get things started. <laughs> but, um, what my understanding of that, um, base, that that description is, is that um, if, if, if you've ever heard people talking about you know their ego before, um, we can kind of see ourselves in two different ways or um, personas. And there's that, like your intellectual and rational self, someone who you would like to think can... Um, you know, logically break down a challenge, a problem or a situation. And then there's the more egoic self, which is kind of more of an instinctive nature um, or um, what what would probably exist in the limbic system where your emotions reside. But Carl Jung goes a step further and says, these are all the more darker tendencies that reside at a lower level that even the ego doesn't fully itself understand. So that's...
1: Quite a concept, Duncan. Do you have any initial thoughts on that? I actually have a totally different concept. <laughs> <what this means. laughs> um, um, so, I'm going say is like um, really, really like Jordan Peterson. However, don't agree with everything he says. And, and yeah. one of the things I've realised is I also don't agree with everything I say. Uh, and one of the mm. sort of things I think is funny is sometimes I'll be saying something, and someone will point out to me, "Hey, does that actually make sense, or does that like you know have cognitive dissonance? i.e. not necessarily fit with something else you've said here?" And I'll think about it and I'll be like, you're right. Those two things don't fit together. And I'm like, hmm, what the hell does that mean? And so I find, I find um, Peterson can be very thought-provoking. Um, and that's great. Um, but, I, you know, certainly I sort of find things that I don't agree with myself. And also, hopefully, you know, we change your mind, you learn. Um, and so, mm. yeah, changing mind. So, so the, one of the ways I've heard this put is there's leading from the light and leading from the shadows. And so when you make a decision there are some decisions, parts of it, which you are consciously aware of. I'm making a decision and I'm doing this. And whether that's an emotional reason or a self-interest reason or a rational reason or whatever. But there are other parts where there's the shadows and you're making a decision. And these are factors that affect your decision which you're not aware of. And so what you do when, for instance, I don't know, if you journal, you can write about something, if you go and have a counseling session or you talk to a friend, is you might be able to illuminate some of these things. Like, ah, I didn't realize that that was sort of making me make this. And so I think James was talking about sort of like instinct, so your, your instinctual reason might be this, but you can't necessarily, or you don't understand all of it. And the parts you don't understand are in the shadow. Yeah,
0: I think like just pulling apart what you just, um, you know, whether intuitively or not acknowledge Duncan in, in, you know, in the process of like saying, well, I don't agree with everything Jordan Peterson says, but hold on. Like I can also pick parts of my previous, uh, um, you know, ideas where I don't agree with those anymore either. Mm. Um, and you can do it in real time as well. And that's actually one of the things that um, Jordan Peterson was outlining in um, this particular lecture. He was talking about how he split his, his psyche in two, where there were the, the, the part of him that was talking and expelling or extolling his own ideas and perspective. And then there was this other part that would just stand back and he would, call, he would say it was neutrally judging. And, up, and over a while, this, this, this side of him, listening to himself talk, would actually say, that's not really your idea, you don't believe that, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and so that, that kind of like, yeah, it plays into this um, element that you, you know, that you've already observed in yourself, Duncan, that like, well, we can disagree with ourselves and that can actually be um, quite confronting. Like, I've... I've Um, I know in the past that when I have said something and suddenly my brain goes like, that's not actually true. um, It it, is quite confronting for me, if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. And one of the things they say is you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I don't know, you might think about something, but you can sort of detach. And so this is one of the, I think, tenets of mindfulness um, that you can try to try and observe your consciousness. And, So, there's different schools of thought. One of the books I read recently was Robert Keegan's In Over Our Heads. and I think we're doing a podcast on that in the future. And I think he talks about the five orders of self. And one of them is like, Duncan feels happy, Duncan feels sad. And the other one's, Duncan's experiencing happiness, Duncan's experiencing sadness. The other one's, okay, zoom out again. What is making Duncan feel or experience happiness and sadness? Mm. And so, there's all these layers. And I think that for a very long time, I was my thoughts. (laughs) Duncan is happy. Duncan is sad. <laughs> um, and I thought that t- to make Duncan happy, as an example, I had to have external stimulus. So I don't know, catching up with James was normally a happy-inducing thing. Um, but I didn't think that, realise that I could originate happiness internally. I kind of thought happiness was a product of this external mm. environment. And mm. but you respond to them, not react necessarily. And so yeah. some days, if if I'm in a good mood, some stimulus, external stimulus, could be making me happy. And if I'm in a bad mood, the external, same external stimulus can make me sad. And I think we've all seen that. You have good, bad days. You know, well, hold up. Can I be partially controlling this? And, and I think that sometimes you can. And I think part of this is mindfulness, is being able to try to push things forward, to push push through. Okay. And so I suppose part of this idea of like shadows and other things is that you can learn about yourself, but you can also, I think, affect who you become. You're not just you know, fated to be in 100% nature. I think you can nurture some, but it's a combination of the two. And one of the things I think that Peterson says is if you haven't pushed your limits, do you really know where they are and do you really know who you are? And I suppose part of this also is by pushing limits, you could start to perhaps define who you are. And so, James, have you Ooh. pushed the limits and do you think that this is a good idea?
0: Right. So, this is something that... Um, it is very close to home for me because this is something I feel that I witnessed external to myself every day uh, when I have um, two little girls running around the house trying to make sense of this reality we know as existence going on. And what I mean by that is, um, uh, so, so what I've come across in um, my own readings is that uh, when you are very little and very young, where you are programmed like it, it it is like part of our makeup to actually find the boundaries or push, try and push beyond them to understand where they are. And so, if you don't act, like you said, Duncan, if you don't actually seek out where the limits of uh, your capacity within your physical body, the limits of your capacity in terms of how you interact socially or the limits of your capacity in terms of, like, what you're capable of in creating something, then you're not going to know what your capabilities are. Um, and I think this actually goes as far as to also understanding the nature of yourself in terms of, like, whether or not you are a good
1: person. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. Um So, I think that there is pros and cons to finding the boundaries. (laughs) Um, Mm. And I think, and almost like anything, like, is exercise good? Well, if good exercise is good and bad exercise is bad. And is food good? Mm -hmm. Well, some food is good and some food is bad. And so, I think it's not just like a blanket, boundaries pushing them good, boundaries not pushing them good. Um, The first thing I sort of thought about is I think when you have the concept of a boundary, and I think this is or pushing the limits, is there is like a limit. And, like, once you go beyond it, like, things break. And I was going to push back on that concept to begin with. To me, there's not a very, like, a, a very defined limit. And once you, for instance, I don't know, you're going to work as hard as you can. And then if you work a bit beyond that limit, oh, crack, you know, it breaks. So, to me, the line is is not really a line. It's kind of like a, an area, a zone. <laughs> <laughs> Are you in, like, the pushing the limits zone? Um, because I think... You know, most people might have like, I don't know, at university, you've got an assignment due tomorrow, and you may not have necessarily done as much preparation as you perhaps liked. And you've never worked until 5am in the morning before, but you managed to do it. And I think, you know, you're pushing the boundaries at that point. Mm. Um, and mm. so the first concept I sort of thought of is like, I don't like the pushing the limits because it's like there's a limit or a boundary. It's like, are you pushing yourself into like the extreme zone um, mm. and that... You can do this for like, I don't know, 10 minutes. It's kind of like exercise a little bit. You can go as hard as you can for like 10 minutes and that's okay. Um, But if you kept doing that for like a day, your heart might give out. (laughs) Um, So for me, um, the concept, and I'm I'm sure that there's a difference. Like, I don't know, maybe it's like you're in war and the limit is I've got to shoot someone and they die. And it's very hard to, you know, that is perhaps a very clear delineated line. But for, Mm. you know, living in a peaceful nation in, you know, a, a developed world, for me it's the, the limits here are like well what should i how much should i sleep and what's the minimum i can sleep i actually tried that <laughs> and in hindsight there was, i was thinking it was stupid because i thought what's the maximum i could work
0: yeah yeah so um that, that that goes back to um i guess the initial premise that like jordan peterson was talking about in terms of pushing these limits is that like, um in a practical sense how else can you learn about who you really are if you don't know what um, I guess are the parameters that confines you, with or that you are confined within. And so it was—it was—it's interesting because I remember having um, a very similar conversation with my wife about six odd years ago. Um, and it, it was—it was in a way self-serving. I i will admit, but <laughs> it was basically I was lamenting the fact that I felt I had never truly been pushed in my career. Um, And I I guess like the, the, the extrapolation of that is I didn't truly know whether I was meeting my potential or if I was on track with my career in this particular instance. And so feeling like I've never truly been tested made me feel like I didn't truly understand where I fit or where I was in terms of my trajectory towards my potential. And it just so happened I had joined a startup at this point. So like, you know, hindsight's a very uh, beautiful gift. Uh, But it was within the next couple of months where I would certainly push well beyond that limit uh, when things would routinely break and uh, it would take, you know, numerous and multiple uh, sleepless nights to fix them. Um, Did I become far more intimately uh, aware of that, that boundary or that limit that I was crossing uh, on a regular basis. But having gotten through that, I now had a much, I felt more intimate understanding of what
1: I was capable of in a, in a work sense. Yeah, I think, um, it's true. So the first thing I wanted to say is, I don't think you wanna push yourself to where you break. That's just really not good. <laughs> um, but I do think you can push yourself into like, I don't know, I'm gonna call it the extreme zone. And one of the things is that, I don't know, if you've never been running before, your extreme zone is going to be not very extreme versus someone who runs all the time. (laughs) And then if you run a bit more and so you can become fitter at at running or whatever else it is. And if you've never lifted weights before, your extreme zone is going to be pretty low. And so I think that actually by pushing into the limits, you actually grow your abilities. So your zone then moves further away. And so I would say that you want to basically, I hope, also I say personal growth is one of the top three things that delivers happiness and that, Sometimes, this is through pushing stuff. Now, you don't want to push stuff all day, every day. But also, I think you kind of want to have, like, hope for the best, plan for the worst. There's going to be times when things don't go great. And you want to be able to hopefully do a good job then. And so, you might want to prepare a little bit. Um, So, this means that, like, yeah, I'm just going to push it just to see, you know, what happens here. And so, that if something bad does happen, it's not the first time you've ever had to, like, I don't know, work longer hours or deal with solving a problem in an incredibly short period of time so that you're Mm. basically getting better at working in those circumstances because sometimes you can manufacture them internally and sometimes they occur externally Mm. and what I've sort of found is that I'm not possible to make sure no really bad external things ever happen if someone could figure that out (laughs) tell me (laughs) but (laughs) you you don't want to have walk into something and just like it's really bad external because it'll happen from time to time and you're like I don't know what to do (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. so you know the consequences there could be not good whereas you can have a bit of a time like ah oh, and the consequences aren't so bad so yeah I do yeah. think there is value to pushing yourself
0: uh, absolutely I agree I think um, it, and it also goes back to um, the, the element of that well do I have a clear pathway to an ideal or an end point or do I have a, a goal that I can work towards that I can see myself co- uh, consistently stretching my, my abilities towards and I think this is um, what um, like in, 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 in this particular uh, subject, Jordan would talk about people losing that, uh, I guess, motivation because that, you know, it's kind of like, as you were saying, you don't start your, um, your running goal by saying, I want to run 100 meters in 10 seconds and then give up quickly after realizing that you can't run in under 20. You start sequentially, you start small. Um, and so you might have a, an end goal, but you, you need to also have clear, I guess, steps along the way that you can see yourself achieving. And so you might say, I, I want to run, run 100, um, you know, I want to be able to run 100 meters. All right, so first step, can you run 100 meters? No. Okay, so just start by running 10 meters. <laughs> um, and just you, uh, you try and make sure that you don't lose interest or have unreasonable expectations of yourself. Um, by setting things that are um, beyond that boundary or that will cause you to break if you consistently try to meet them.
1: I think we're sort of saying the same thing. I agree. Um, You know, you can basically grow your abilities. And at work, we talk about small, medium and large. So as, you know, projects, whatever else it is. And you basically only get good at doing larges by trying larges. You know, if you do... So, over time, a large should turn into a medium, should turn into a small. So, basically, what, you know, small, then if you do a small, that medium might slowly turn into a small that's above it. But by design, you want to, for instance, give people big problems and not give them much support, and that's a large. So, a big problem with no support is a large. Not making it so they can fail. So, you know, for instance, they don't necessarily need to deliver a great outcome, but then they get better at operating on larges, and it builds their capabilities. So, I think... You want to do that as well with creativity and other things. And so for me, um, helping you be doing larges as opposed to only doing smalls helps you get better at a large. And so I think you should push to them in a safe and energizing fashion. It doesn't have to be Mm. I'm pushing this because I just need to figure out what the maximum stress I can physically handle is. Like you ideally want to have no stress. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's interesting like um, this is slightly getting off point, but I think you want to push yourself. And I'm not a doctor. Like what I'm doing, no one's going to die if I totally mess it up, right? So the actual really bad outcomes is not that bad. It's like, oh, well, I'll just ask someone for some help and we'll, we'll figure it out tomorrow. Like it, it honestly, yeah. like I've, I've realized in the past that I thought things were really bad and they just really weren't that bad. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think um, to your point, like we're, we're on this, um, you know, very interesting tangent of talking practically at how we can level ourselves up by working or pushing ourselves as close to the limit as possible without being unreasonable and just going all the way over the edge. Um, but I want to bring it back towards, um, you know, rather than having um, uh, utilistic examples of work and um, and like your exercise routine, um, with the subject at hand of like your shadow self, understanding your yourself and your inner workings and what it means um for you to explore that and how you can go to the limit of exploring that and so just one example i want to give it is running this exercise of whether or not you've been tested truly around your understanding of you as a good person so um Just to give you my thoughts, Duncan, I would say up until quite recently, um, I would have thought of myself as a genuinely good person. I would have thought like, Dan, you're okay. You you wish the best for people. You're average. You don't... don't (laughs) I I thought I was decidedly average. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't harbour any sort of nefarious, um, you know... uh, desires, or I, I, you know, I, I want to ex, ex, extend certain pain on people. Um, so I'll take that as a very loosely held definition of what it means to be good. Um, but what can be quite confronting is that that's your rational brain thinking, because you're applying logic on, that, um, on the element of the way you think you think. And remember, as you said, Duncan, you're not your thoughts. Um, but if you try an exercise um, where you c- test yourself how far you can go with that rational thinking the other way in terms of how far do you th- how, how far do you think you are capable of doing not so good things in a, rat- in, a in a justified manner uh, and if you actually do this over a, a considerable amount of time and effort um, then it can actually be quite confronting so what I'm getting at here is that, are we actually testing ourselves? Are we pushing ourselves in terms of understanding our true nature? And are we actually trying to unravel what, how we really think in order to, um, you know, to better understand the way we operate?
1: Okay. Uh, so basically, if you push yourself, do you find out whether you're good or not? Um, mm. And so um, my sort of thoughts on this are I make different decisions on different days. about the same stuff um and so i don't know if someone is deemed good and as such is good henceforth or is deemed bad and is bad you know i think people can make silly decisions and people can be redeemed and people might also make some really good things uh you know in one part of their life and not so good in another part um so i know you're just praising modeling but like you know i don't know martin luther king jr was seen as a very big proponent for you know uh, you know, hoping sort of social equality in the US, but may not have necessarily mm. done things which people thought were so great having a lot of sort of affairs with females, uh, you know, and, and being <laughs> married. And so, you know, I think a lot of people are complicated, and, you know, this also depends what you feel the moral standard is. Yeah, um no, so, very true. So for, for me, um, you know, I'm living in. A developed country you know first world Australia um, we have a very strong social safety net I have a good job with which pays me enough money to be able to you know basically put a roof over my head and food in my mouth not have you know financial insecurity there is no war going on here um, so I don't think I have been like okay well I have to, have to steal to, to put food in my mouth I have to you know go to war to defend my family and so I think that inside of this this environment it's pretty conducive to being a good person (laughs) or or like, you know, like, you know, like, Oh, I pushed myself, you know, but I think an example would be, I'm not optimizing for money in my job. I'm optimizing for helping others and enjoyment for myself. And I used to not think about enjoyment for myself, but I realized that if I don't enjoy it, I've got not much longevity. And so Mm. I think that's an example of being good, but I also think that others who are optimizing for money aren't necessarily bad. I think they just may not yet realize I think they're optimising for happiness, right? But they don't realise that a route to happiness is through helping others. They think it's through cash. And so if you were able... So that's kind of what I thought. Like, if you'd asked 15-year-old Duncan what the best job was, it was the highest paid job. And now I'm like, that's ridiculous. But but could it be construed
0: uh, through the lens of the... um the old and wise Howard Hughes, as personified by Leo in *The Aviator*. <laughs> wise, perhaps, where, is a
1: word that others may not use, but go on.
0: <laughs> but when he was at um, uh, Audrey Hepburn's, I think it was uh, family house, the 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 word, what the saying was that we don't care about money, and his response was, "Well, that's because you have it." So what I'm getting at here is that while it may seem altruistic for you individually, Duncan, to say, "Well, my goal here is not." to make money at work. My goal here is to um, help people. Can you see yourself in a way where, well, if there was no money coming in and suddenly I had to revert back to my survival instinct, does my goal still hold water or do, or do they suddenly change? Because while I know any good enterprise needs to have uh, money in order to, for it to be sustainable, um, to say that this is the primary motivation or operator might actually be able to be challenged if that underlying premise is not able to be met.
1: Yeah, I think i talked about this before in one of the previous podcasts. Um, so I think you need to look after the efficiency needs, and this is like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Of course, we've got to get that in there. So if you don't have <laughs> safety, right, if you're in a war-torn zone or you're in, in an abusive household or something, then don't matter you know about the top part and then after that you've got to have you know belonging so you you know have a sense of you know friends and then you've got to have esteem and other things so no money will make you sad lots of money won't make you happy the crossover mm-hmm. point for most of the study says that it's about fifty thousand us dollars a year that people earn uh, if you're an individual so that you know um and i earn more than that and i've personally found that i'm pretty good at finding ways to spend money on dumb stuff but like i don't actually necessarily <laughs> need more money so for me if I had no money then yes I think I would be doing differently but I'm not optimizing for like more I'm like I'm above sufficiency and so an extra incremental money at this point doesn't really make me happier like I'm going to eat the same $12 lunch after this is done and if I earned I don't know $20,000 less a year or $20,000 more a year I'd be eating the same $12 lunch I'd oh, be no working months, in the same job. I'd be working the same yeah. hours. I'd be living in the same house. I would hopefully have the same friends. I'd be wearing the same clothes. You know, I, I don't really buy much clothes. <laughs> and so for me, it's it's about, you know, your time is made up of life. Your life is made up of the time. God, that would go yep. wrong. And oh. so, um, yeah, like, well, so I think once you've got those bottom things, you know, no, no food will make you sad. You know, yeah. lots of food won't make you happy. You got to figure it out. And no, mm. you know, money will make you sad. Lots of money won't make you happy. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah there's a tipping point.
0: Yeah, time is made up of life. Quite um, <laughs> a, a, a poignant uh,
1: uh, philosophical um, ex- virtue there. Well, actually, you could probably say that there's something yeah. insightful about that. I, I, I think there is. Think there <laughs> <might be. laughs> the most insightful thing I've ever said was a mistake. <laughs> That's, that sounds about right. All, yeah. You know, all <laughs> that, that, good inventions are
0: mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you'll be right up there with the noble family. So, mm. um, well done. So, um, I think that's very, like, they're very true, keeping things in, in perspective along the, the you know, the hierarchy of needs. Um, because it, it helps us understand that, like, we're living in a world of abundance right now. Like, just to your point, um, up until the last, um, I'd say, what, 150 years, we are no longer as a species worried about where our next meal is going to come from. Some Um, of us are,
1: but less and less people have, you know. know, Yeah,
0: yeah. as I I, uh, overly generalize, Mm -hmm. I guess I should say. But I guess the the, the point that I'm making is that while we can, you know, try our best to understand ourselves in our current environment and how that, um, you know, how we operate within that, can we see a way in which that can slowly erode over time? and that might actually challenge our convictions around you know, what we believe in. Um, so what I mean by this is that they give a really good example where if you just let one thing slide at work, um, you know, the boss comes in and says, like, all right, everyone is going to start coming into the office from 8.30 a.m. every day, like provided it was nine o'clock previously. Um, and if you don't think that's right, then but you let it slide because you're like, well, who am I to defy the boss? Then it's not really that big a deal but that, um, uh, uh um, it has been laid out in, uh, what I've been, um, you know, listening to is kind of like the starting, uh, point of a very, very slippy slope where people can actually start to pull away your values and pull away, um, what you believe in, um, quite quickly. Um, so ha- like, I guess, to ask a question like have you ever given up something that you did not truly think was worthwhile but then it led
1: to something much bigger down the track okay um yeah i think people conflate this um so like oh it's better to be easy to be 100% true to something than it is to be 99% true because then it's like a slippery slope um, I don't think your example of work and moving it half an hour forward is a good one. <laughs> okay. Um, well, so, um, I didn't want to go full yeah, extreme I don't know. Like and maybe you... it's like you know you're in a relationship and you have the understanding of it's monogamous and yeah. that you've decided that one little slip is you know of, of infidelity is um, okay. And then typically it's not <laughs> one. It kind of you know spirals perhaps from there. Um, so for me, um, I think an example. Uh, what's one? Well, let me give you another one because no. you just touched on the, the point um,
0: that I was trying to make here is that this uh, I am finding personally <laughs> is uh, is key to good long term relationships, uh, particularly um, when you're in a um, a loving marriage like myself, um, because as I have um, announced on my wedding day, I have made a commitment to this other person for the rest of my life and so like okay great off you go you can now live together um harmoniously and beautifully and lovingly uh for every single day that you shall live not exactly how it works (laughs) um and that by way of um providing uh the point i'm making here is that simple and small and trivial uh thing that you yourself or your partner does that may cause a small amount of friction, if you decide to just ignore because, hey, I'm a nice person or I'm, you know, I like to keep the peace, it, you, you're not um, what I find doing the right thing because that will just keep happening and it will actually wear away at you and suddenly you find yourself becoming resentful. And I'm not saying that particular point has ha- happened, but I'm learning from other people who have gone through that, that you should be addressing these things as they come up. Otherwise you can slide yourself into having massive arguments over something that was otherwise trivial in the beginning.
1: Mm. Uh, So I I think this is in all relations, not just like, you know, um, romantic ones. So I think it works sort of similar, like often things go from small to medium to large, if you don't address them. So another analogy is if you catch cancer really soon, you're all good. If it's the size of an apple when you address it, it's like fifty percent chance of getting through this. <laughs> and so, <laughs> as a typical rule of thumb, what I sort of say at work is soft and soon. So it's better to bring things up. Um, so yeah. another um, sort of saying I have at work is like you have no right to be annoyed about something with someone if you haven't brought it up with them. So if mm. someone's annoying you with something, I honestly ninety-nine percent of things come from miscommunication, not malice. I.e., no one—they're not actively trying to annoy you. They just have no idea that it's annoying you. So. If you haven't said, you have no right to be annoyed. So I try to imbibe this, you know, Duncan, is this on you? Well, have you said anything about it? No. Well, you have no right to be annoyed about it. And then you've got to figure out how to bring it up in a way that they are going to see as a gift yeah. and a way to yeah. help. And so I think this is true in my experience of romantic relationships, as well as friendships, yeah. as well as family, <laughs> as well as work, that I am sure do lots of things, unfortunately, which annoy people. As much as I know, I'm not consciously trying to piss you <laughs> off, but I sure as hell unfortunately will from time. And if it's just yeah. a one-off, I just like let it slide. Like you, you know, they say, don't sweat the small things and everything's a small thing. Mm. But if I've seen this like two or three times, I'm like, yeah, let's have a chat about this. Yeah. 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 Um, if, if you do not participate, you cannot complain. I think...
0: Um, was A bumper sticker when they were talking about like um, US elections and politics. Like, if you know, if you don't vote, then you can't, um, uh, act like you know, complain about your elected official because you didn't um, involve yourself in the process. But I like that how you know, if you haven't actually, um, you know, raised what is causing you disconfirmation, then you don't really have a right to get upset about it. Because you just say disconfirmation?
1: Uh, uh, Discontinuation, All right, that's good. Disconfirmation? (laughs) That's a big fancy word
0: you got there. Yeah. Close, very close. I could have had another win for me on the board. Uh, But um, what this is getting at is that um, I, I think it helped people, Well, it certainly helped me to understand that you are by no means a good person if you are just glossing over things that other people do that might rub you the wrong way. You're not actually doing them a service and you're not doing yourself a service. Um uh, and, and um like people have identified these as like you know the peacekeepers or um the, the codependents who like to just try and keep themselves in a good uh relationship with the other person. Um because you owe it to yourself to um you know have a long-term relationship where you work with the other person through both of your problems together. And so It it kind of takes things away from like, well, a good relationship should be one that's just fun and happy and good all the time to, well, maybe another idea of a good relationship is where you can work together through any conflict in a constructive way.
1: Yeah. um, Do you want to go around annoying people all your life? Yes. Uh, Yeah. I don't think you do. (laughs) (laughs) But Do others annoy you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're no different to them. You're annoying people all day, every day, Wait, right? What? <laughs> you're not some perfect person. So, so this is the thing like um, fundamental attribution error. People judge others mm. by their actions, but you judge yourself by your circumstances. Mm. So, if you did that thing, it's because, oh, I had to rush here or whatever else it is, you know? Um, so, for instance, if someone's cut someone off in traffic, that's a, them being a pain in the ass. But if you do it, you're rushing to the hospital emergency ward. And so, for better or worse, you afford yourself all these uh, things. And and for some reason, I find that I get annoyed about stuff that I shouldn't be getting annoyed about all the time, right? And sometimes (laughs) it's because I'm just being silly and I just need to stop getting annoyed about things. And other times it's because the other person has, you know, 99% and no concept that they're being annoying. Mm -hmm. And and then 1% of the time, that person's a dickhead (laughs) or being a dickhead. And so, you don't need them in your life. Um, And so, if you do not help others know how they are annoying you, they will not stop annoying you. And Mm. conversely, if others don't tell you how you're annoying them, then you will not be aware of it and won't be able to try to address it.
0: Yep, yep. So this is where um, it starts to pop up when somebody starts shining a light on you. Duncan, you're annoying. (laughs) James, you're annoying. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Um, And so this is where... um, the shadow self rears this, um, you know, rather deformed head in a way that, um, if you're like me, uh, in the past when someone shines a light on me, like my ego loves to show up and just do its, um, you know, what it does best, which is get defensive and put your back up. And it, it would kind of like the idea we talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, where if you put an idea out for cr- uh, criticizing. People aren't criticizing your you. They're criticizing your ideas, so you shouldn't take that as a personal attack. When somebody is telling you, Duncan, you're being annoying, they're not trying to attack you. They're trying to help you understand the way in which your behaving is affecting other people. I just jump in quickly,
1: like generally. <laughs> I think this is the, what I said before. Duncan is experiencing uh, happy. No, Duncan is happy, or Duncan is fe- experiencing happiness. You're not annoying, Duncan. You are annoying me. Your action is annoying me. And I think mm. that we need to sort of switch into this and sort of see like, ah, oh, well, I don't want to annoy you. Um, what, let me know why. Oh, okay. I was totally unaware of this. Mm. And so again, like um, what I've seen many times and I have done this in the past is you just don't bring it up because it's so a confrontation is difficult and you don't want to like, you know,
0: yeah.
1: uh, and so it's easier to not bring something up. But that's the short-term win Second order, you know, long-term outcome is this goes from a small to a medium to a large and then you're like, this is a deal-breaker. Like, <laughs> basically, what happens is I, I believe you find what you're looking for. You don't see what's there. So you're looking for that thing that they do which annoys you if it's come for a while because it's turned to such a sore point. And you see it everywhere, all the time. Um, so a quick example of this, I've forgotten this what this cognitive bias is called. If you've ever thought about, like, buying a car or something you might be saying i'm gonna buy a, a ford focus like it's a little ford you know and then all of a sudden you see ford focuses everywhere right mm, yeah this yep. is not because there's more ford focuses there were the same friggin' number of ford focuses as there were before but your mind does this with everything and so if there's a thing that annoys you about this person and you you see it everywhere right <laughs> and it <laughs> and when it comes it used to be like i just give you a small annoyance but now you see it everywhere and it's giving you a large annoyance and this is turbo like deal breaker town. And so <laughs> the only way that I've kind of, you know, if for your others to be able to stop annoying you is for you to let them know why uh, they are or for you to let it go. It's yeah. not going to solve yeah. itself. Like, you know, ignoring st- this problem, it's just going to go from, it's going to metastasize. How do you say that? It? Metastasize? It's going to go from uh, small to medium to large. Or exacerbate. There you go. i
0: pronounced it right this time. <laughs> Um, no, absolutely. And um, it, it works inversely as well. Um, you see it everywhere. And if somebody annoys you, then everything they do is annoying. Yes. And that and that can um, be quite destructive to your ability to form long lasting relationships. Because what do you do? Like someone does something annoying, you let that fester over time till they, their mere um, presence is annoying. And so you just sever ties with people yep. after a particular point. Or do you actually go back to the point where this uh, started and do what is, um, you know, I guess most helpful in that phase of your relationship with that person? But pointing out things that, like I mean, you've got to be honest with yourself, like maybe you are being immature or unreasonable, it's <laughs> quite likely that can be true. Um, maybe you're not, but you're not going to discover where you sit unless you actually have a discussion with that other person to figure out um, you know, what is causing this, um, this discomfort between you. So um, I, th- I think having the ability to, or the courage even, to be very, very transparent with other people and yourself because other people will tell you that you annoy them. Like the world is a very, very good litmus test for that. Um, and just about being prepared to receive that as not as a personal attack, but as a way for you to understand more about yourself and how you are reflecting towards the outside world.
1: Yeah. Um, so I try to repeat to myself, if you haven't bought, if something is annoying you and you haven't bought up why they're annoying you, then you have no right to be annoyed. But then even when you do, my current plan is typically soft and soon. Um, And that I think it takes between three and five times of talking to someone about this in a work context till it normally gets through. You can't be like, oh, I've said it once. Now all problems will be solved. Like I have the perfect solution. You're the antidote to this. (laughs) Um, So an example is, let's say you're trying to fly from New York to LA um, and the plane is somehow heading to Florida, which is off track. I'm using the American one because we have lots of, not lots, we have more overseas listeners than Australian ones. (laughs) Um, And... What a lot of people do is they're like, we're meant to be going to LA, why are you going to Florida? And then they don't say anything and they don't say anything and then they're almost at like Florida and then they're like, (laughs) okay, let's have a chat. You got to do a 90 degree turn right fucking now. And if you don't do it, big problem. So they've waited for them this small, this turned into a medium, turned into a large. And so what I've found is better is that you're heading down there and you soften soon and you tap them a little bit from the direction of Florida towards LA. But they're still not going the right direction. And then you tap again a little later. And after five taps, they're pointed in the right direction. Mm. And so yeah, if you just soften soon and three to five. Um, you know, don't expect or at least I have not figured out how to to put things in one thing. And I know when people tell me, I think I think I understood what they said. And then when they bring it up like two weeks later, I'm like, oh, God, I, just, I totally only got a, a portion of what they were saying.
0: Mm. Uh, I, I've got a similar analogy about you're driving a car down the road. And even if the road is utterly straight, you can't take your hands off the wheel. You've got to keep your hands on the wheel um, because when you, lo- you, when you lose focus, the car will slightly... Ad- adjust itself off the side of the road and into a tree. <laughs> so rather than waiting for the moment where you're off the road and about to veer directly into a tree, you need to keep your hand on the wheel at all times and do very, very light touches to the left and to the right so that you stay on point.
1: Yeah, I um,
0: like... mm, um... mm, No, it. No,
1: it, it's, yeah, it's helpful. So, so one of the things, uh, sort of, yeah, if we sort of get back, because I've gone on a very big tangent, speaking of small, soft and soon, and changing directions, about the itself. <laughs> one of the things he said, is, like, if, you, if you've never really pushed yourself, you know, do you know if you're a good person? And I thought about asking this question from a different perspective, which is, what are you willing to hurt for? Mm. And this is um, from Mark Manson and the Subtle Art of Not Giving a uh, Fuck, um, which is a very <laughs> a book. I think it was like one of the most popular books in 2017. Wonderful book. Have a read. Um and I, I think people are like, I want to live a happy life. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, no. What are you willing to hurt for? And my just answer is like, if you're not willing to hurt for anything, then you don't really care about anything. And mm. so I'm not saying that this is, you know, I want to be willing to hurt as much as possible. I mean, but in some respects, I do. Like, I want to care deeply about things mm. and therefore have the ability to be hurt deeply by them. And if you aren't willing to hurt for anything, then are you not really living life? Are you abstaining from it? And so mm. an example is like, I would be willing to hurt for James. Um, you know, I think you want to have some good quality friendships in your life. Um, I don't think you should have one. I think there's too much. And I don't actually want more than five really because mm. then it's just spread too thin. And I, I sort of think there's this idea of depth and breadth and there's some balance. You know, you don't want to have 100 really shallow relationships, but I also don't think you want to have one. And so I think, yeah, I'd be and what does that mean? Like, I don't know. We have some tough yeah. conversations. It means that I'd be willing to drop whatever the hell I'm doing and, and go and help him. Uh, you know, with, with other things. Um, and an example from, like, I think you should be willing to hurt for work. Now, I know some people say, oh, no, I know you're place, but I'm like, why not care? Caring doesn't mean you can't laugh, you can't have fun. I think a lot of people do that, like, you know, hopefully a lot of people want to necessarily have like a traditional view of a romantic relationship and get married. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you care about that person. That doesn't mean you can't have fun with them. That doesn't mean you can't laugh, you know, and go and, you know, play and do whatever else it is. And so I feel that this weird thing at work, it's like, ah. Oh, you know, work you know, can and should be fun. And I think work can be something you care about and therefore you should care about it. Why not? This doesn't mean you have to be serious the whole time. And so mm. for me, I do think there are some times where you want like a sugar high, uh, uh, but I also think that you should be willing to hurt for things. And so the core things I spend my time on, I, I would want to care for them and be willing to hurt for all of them. Mm.
0: Well, um, you, you can take this back to a meta level and um, think about how whatever decision you're making, you're also deciding what not to do um I really like this element like the 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 saying I've heard of and I I won't resort to swearing Is but what poo sandwich are you willing to eat?
1: <laughs> this is the worst one uh, no poo sandwich <laughs> I'm willing to hurt these <laughs> like but for example, I would not eat a poo sandwich for you James done there we go. it's <laughs> not gonna happen It's an expression yeah but it's an... a for one all
0: right go on <laughs> um but you have to decide like, if what you want is to have, you know, um, I guess you're a very, very strong and a very present, uh, a, a, you know, a strong presence at home in your family life, then you, you may need to sacrifice time, you know, at work, which could potentially lead to sacrificing your career. Um, like to put very simply, like my partner, want to be at home with our children until they are at an age where they can go to school. Now, while that can still be a clear primary desire, there are secondary desires that means they have to get put aside because you can't do everything. You can have everything you want, but you can't do it at the same time. Uh, Einstein, I think it was. You just totally butchered that quote. <laughs> it was like the <laughs> Well, you can't have it all at once, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. (laughs) Semantics. No, whatever. Mr. Semantics. Come on, quickly. So, but like, okay, so let's take this to the next level, which is, all right, so what are you really willing to hurt for? Like, what level of investment do you have? Because by choosing to do that, you are going to not be able to get something else out of it. And I think this is where you kind of think about, well, it's not like, well, I want this more and I'm willing not to do that. It's... How much am I willing for this to hurt me, for me to continue pursuing it? And that can be relationship too. Like there can be times where um, in my relationship with you, Duncan, they're not happy, fun, sugar-coated um, things. We might be in a disagreement or we might be um, you know, diverting in our personal lives. And if we don't invest back in the relationship, then will, um, it will disappear. And so it could be something that actually is hurting you. And you don't just say, well, this is hurting. I don't want to do this anymore. You understand, or you ask yourself, how much of this am I willing to take? Or what am I willing to do to
1: fix this, so to speak? Yeah. um, My self-take is like, for better or worse, most things have some good and some not good. (laughs) Um, and so, um, Danny Kahneman would say that you want positive sentiment override which means that for him, that level is 75%. So 75% of the time should be good, 25% bad. And different people will have different set points for different activities. So, um, you know, so for me, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure you can get the upside without the downside. And so yeah. this is not to say that, you know, you should be wanting to to hurt, but you should be recognizing that there's going to be upside and downside. Um, yeah. And I want to care deeply. And I think that sometimes the hurt can happen and then you're like it's not worth it i just want to go to doing nothing and and then i've sort of tried that sometimes but like a job which i didn't care about i would be bored stupid and that would be much worse than i don't know hopefully having the hurt part be less than 25 percent of the time mm. um so for me um i do think you want a day you know or two a week of just you know not necessarily doing stuff that you 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 know, care deeply about but the rest of the time Honestly, you want relationships. I think you want to care about yourself as well. And so look after yourself. And I think you want to care about work because you're going to spend the majority of your waking hours doing it. And so I know that this is a somewhat luxurious thing. But, you know, if you're in a developed country, um, I do think it's very possible. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to fall in your lap. Um, Mm. At least that's my experience. I've had to work very hard for it. (laughs) Hopefully Mm. you you might, um, you know, have a a lucky circumstance and it just does happen for you. But it's Mm. possible. Uh, And so, yeah, what are you willing to work for, hurt for? I suppose everything you spend your time on except one or two days a week. That's my my answer. And so yourself, your (laughs) friends, your job, you know, and your family as an example. And if you want to have a family, then you should be really wanting to have it. This is not a small commitment.
0: Uh, Unless it's on Sunday, in which case everyone can sod off because Doug is having his uh, no no hurt day.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe my sister and brother-in-law have a dog um, and I get to see that like for two hours, like maybe once a week. And that's some pretty happy times. <laughs> I, I, I like, do I care for Batman? Maybe I do. Oh anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: I, I will say some something very interesting came up in some um, research I've been doing recently. But like so um, Duncan likes to talk about the positive sentiment override um I guess model, which I've actually found quite useful in some of my relationships. But what this particular research did was that they applied that to long term partnerships or in this specific case marriages Uh, and so what they asked themselves was what's the proper ratio of positive to negative uh interactions to make a good marriage and they looked at it and they said well i think it's five to one like the um like the uh the the initial premise and they found that there was zero correlation to a happy and successful marriage and they thought well jesus is it ten to one then and they looked it again and the data showed zero correlation and it, it, it wasn't until, um, I'll, I'll try and find the, the, um, the what I what I found and put it in the show notes for um, people to have a look at this, but it wasn't until they realized that where they did find the correlation between positive and negative interactions was how people engaged in conflict. And so this is going back to that initial premise of like, do we view conflict as something that is negative and attack on ourselves, or is conflict a tool for us to better understand each other. And it's actually like, it, it's, it's insane. Like, um, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but I just want to make sure that this point is made, is that when this comes to being able to understand ourselves better and how we can manage things like the shadow self or the ego, understanding that conflict is actually a tool to better improve who you are as a person when done properly, um, I have found to be an incredible, um, I guess, hack to improving my own,
1: uh, I guess, standing life. Yeah, I think I think conflict is the wrong word because um, it's got such negative connotations with it. You don't learn stuff from people who agree with you. You only learn from people that don't. Mm. And then you get a chance to learn why you've got points of difference. Um, and that's fun. That's really nice because... If you've got some misunderstanding of something or a bad you know, way of thinking about something, better to learn about that sooner rather than later. And so <laughs> to me, um, I don't want to go around annoying people. I don't want people to go around annoying me. So if I tell them something, this is not conflict. This is an opportunity for them to grow. This is a gift. If they tell me it's not conflict... It's a way for me to give them a gift by stopping, you know, giving them a poo sandwich instead, you know. (laughs) And, and, And so for me, I think that, you know, there is proper conflict. Like, I don't know, you're in a war or something. But less than that, you're not perfect. You're going to be needing to learn how to improve. Others aren't perfect either. And so you need to learn about yourself and about others and how to interact. And this happens through sometimes finding ways to do something you're not doing, which is good, but also sometimes to stop doing things which aren't good. Mm. And so these are opportunities for learning. These are opportunities to grow. These are not points of conflict. And I think that what anyone's provided, so there's, you know, at work, if you, if you had growth, that's a good thing. But in a relationship, if you have to give someone feedback, that's saying there's something wrong with them. And so mm. the whole, I think, mindset around relationships is this is meant to be some perfect snowflake that completes me. And if I'm not feeling with them, they're not the perfect snowflake. Nobody is a perfect snowflake. And everybody is going to annoy <laughs> somebody at some point and be annoyed by somebody at some point. And so if you don't talk about it, why the hell do you think they're going to know that this is annoying you? This is ridiculous that they should just know. That's, you know, if someone said that at work, what what's your strategy? Just to do good. Mm. It, it should just mm. work. Yeah. And they will be laughed right. in your face and you'd be told to get out and your business is going to fail. <laughs> all right.
0: Well, stay tuned for our next podcast after Cloud Streaks, Snowflakes.
1: <laughs> Actually, um, this one you would have... Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's not changing its name. <laughs> 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 all right, right no. let's do one more point and then a summary. Hey, James, what's your, right, what's your right, point? So, right,
0: uh, the, the last point I wanted to make is that so here we are sitting in our comfortable chairs intellectualizing about something that happens to you in real time where... Um, you are confronted with the, I guess, the realization that you are not a perfect being and that you are actually seen as uh, annoying or or cantankerous to another person. So what I'm saying here is that while we can rationalize about what it means to take feedback on, when you are actually in the moment, if you're like me, then happy little ego Person shows up very quickly, and I just wanted to talk about ways in which that you can become more aware of that. So, this, what I do is I talk about emotional intelligence versus emotional fitness. So, emotional intelligence, to be very blunt, I guess, is your ability to understand and manage not only your own emotional um, standing or um, situation, but those of, um, around you as well. So. I take that as an ability to, you could learn emotional intelligence in a book, but emotional fitness is in the moment. When it's actually happening to you, how do you respond? And for me, I have one of my, one of my Everest is being able to control that egoic reactive nature that when something is um, confronting me with the reality that I'm not the, the person I thought I was, I, start, I tend to get quite defensive quite quickly. And it's, it's only when you observe that reaction and you realise, hold on, am I actually allowing for the other person to express how I'm making them feel, or am I simply trying to defend something I think is true to me?
1: Hmm. I like. Um, okay, summary time. Um, I think what this is shadow self, and I know I think James and I have sort of different sort of interpretations to begin with, but you can have a role in who you become obviously you know your genetics and your environment also play a role but you're not not able to have a role um so i'm just point blank don't believe in hard determinism um and and i think that too much of the time um if someone's giving you feedback in a relationship it's taken as criticism but i've tried to shift my mindset totally around as in of course i want to grow and again Top, one of the top three things that gives happiness is personal growth, they say. And so one of the best ways to grow is to be pointed out where you might want to grow by another person. And this is a gift. It's not mm. a point of must defend, must say why their point doesn't make sense, you know, um, mm. or even perhaps, you know, counterfire. Or Well, have you looked in the mirror? You're not so beautiful yourself, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, um, so f- for me, um, you do, you know, understand parts of yourself, you know, but you also don't understand all of yourself. Um, mm. And this uh, process of learning about this, which I sort of refer to as shadow self, is really good fun if you have the right mindset. And I think James sort of said this before, which you know, conflict, which I, again was just like I think it's the wrong word. It's an opportunity to learn how you know you can work with someone better. And so Alain de Baton mm. said that a fight is someone in a relationship trying to tell the other person something which they have not yet been able to convey well. And I would all put it further, like if you're getting to the point of a fight, it's like a large town, and it's a lot. I, you know, talking about emotional fitness, down so before, it depends on the environment you're in. If the other person's really emotional and, and perhaps an elevated voice and tone and talking at you, maybe even yelling, it's very hard to be, you know, you know, trying to keep yourself in check. You know, you might be sort of getting all emotional and perhaps responding in a way which you, in hindsight, you know, would not necessarily have seen as good. So, anyways, mm. learning about yourself is fun look for people to try to give you feedback. If they do and you get all hurt and spiteful, they won't give you any more. And that means that you're gonna be going around annoying people without knowing why. And Mm. so, yeah. Beautiful talking. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you feedback
0: later. (laughs) Um, Okay, so um, thoughts in the shadow self. So um, if we just, uh, as as I summarized earlier um, from Jordan Peterson and Carl Jung, this shadow self is those collective values that you yourself do not necessarily hold on to consciously in your day-to-day dealing but are rather suppressed at a lower level that only really rear itself when it's directly challenged and so the one of the ways of trying to better understand yourself because we are supremely complex beings um, like I, I I am the more I am learning the more I am realizing I have very little understanding of who I really am. <laughs> so one of the ways of us to do this is for us to be, I guess, humble in the sense that there are large parts of ourselves that are not perfect. Or to, to be more yeah. specific, there are large parts of ourselves that are not, um, I guess, conducive to <laughs> um, other people's uh, interaction. And we can only... well. We can bring those about and we can address them and we can um, master them only by allowing them to surface when other people are telling us something about ourselves that we don't fully understand. And I think it, like um, by pushing yourself to the limit, as Duncan was saying at the beginning, um, do you get a much better picture of you know, where do you fit in with your actual, well, with your supposed understanding of who you are? By giving yourself, uh, I guess, pause when other people are bringing something to your attention that might not be conflict but could be considered confrontational, there you go, uh, <laughs> is an opportunity for you to to be honest with yourself and think about how does this actually reflect on who I think I am as a person. Um, I, I'll just finish off with uh, another quote from Carl Jung, but, um, you know, people think An enlightened being is someone who just only sits in the light. Um, But so from what Carl Jung said, he says, like one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So if we want to be somewhat people who can be truly aware of who we are, then that involves all parts of ourselves,
1: um, which can include the ego and the shadow self as well. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, that's it for today. I think the next time we'll be talking about The Simple Art of Not Being Miserable, which is a blog which I like. All right. James, Fair speak enough. to you
0: soon. Thank, thank you.
1: Bye-bye.